the old gray matter just ain't what it used to be. There was a time when our view of the brain was of this fixed mass, this rigid, inelastic stuff that the really only substantial change you could expect from the brain was that over time it would simply deteriorate. Like those batteries you used in science class when you were checking for magnetism, you know, like those D batteries on steroids, you know, those big, big, massive. Current only went one way, and eventually its power would just run out altogether. But today, with the new technologies, the neuroscientist is now able to map or scan, watch your brain doing what it does. And so a whole new understanding of the brain as elastic, malleable, constantly changing, constantly learning, until the day you see Jesus, has emerged. Every time you have a new experience, Something fires in your brain, a new connection is formed, and as you have repeated experiences or repeated thoughts along the same line, that, that passageway for those electrical currents only strengthened, and so habits form and new thoughts become in, ingrained in us. In other words, your brain was programmed for constant change. Thank the Lord. So just, just in passing, and this struck me yesterday, whatever the program of your life has been to this point, how, however the script looks, be aware that God created you with a brain that is able to leave the past behind, that is able to think new thoughts, and those electrons that fired in response to hurt and bitterness and rejection can be replaced by the thoughts that the Spirit would work in you. God created your brain. Oh, no. He hardwired your brain so that you could become like Jesus. Towards the end of Romans chapter 8, the, the first great section of the letter, where Paul is finally coming to an end of his description of all that God has done for us in Christ through the work of the Spirit. He describes what all this is for. He says that we have been predestined and foreordained, uh, theologically loaded words, certainly, to be conformed to the image of his son. We have been hardwired. We have been created to be like Jesus. The brain doesn't change itself, of course. It's, it's responding to, to what comes in through, through your mind. We're making a simple distinction here between mind and body, mind and brain. And so when Paul comes to the second part of his, third part of his letter, 9 to 12 being a short history of the nation of Israel and what God's promises are to her going forward, he now comes to this major section where he says, now, based on everything God has done, here's how we should live. And he starts with how we should think. He talks about the transformed mind for the changes that allow us to become like Jesus will come through the mind. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. 
he has prescriptions here. Paul knows what the mind of the Spirit should look like in the people that he's writing to. But before he comes to any of the things that he says, now people who are thinking with this renewed mind will think this way, he starts with what the renewed mind begins with, the grace of God. This is not a courtesy that he is, is putting out there before he asks for a response. It's not like saying please and thank you. By the mercies of God, Paul says. It always starts with grace, doesn't it? It's always been that way. It was that way for Israel. After all, God called them. Before he gave them the Ten Commandments, he presented himself to them again as the God who had delivered them out of Egypt. Before he asked them to do this, he reminded them of what he had done. When it comes to God, it's always reactive. We're never proactive in terms of accumulating frequent flyer points of grace. It's always, we're always running behind. And so it is for the Christian life. We, we live in response to, to the grace of God. Wouldn't it be wonderful that if this school year, uh, a new pattern of thinking would start to fire off in our brains, come through our minds and get imprinted on our brains. That whenever we think about our day and what the Lord has called us to do, we will be overwhelmed by a sense of gratitude for the mercies of God. Wouldn't it be interesting, what would our community look like? And I'm not saying many of us don't practice this already, but every time we drove onto these grounds, that we said to ourselves, Lord, thank you today. I am not getting what I deserve. And thank you, Lord, I am not getting what somebody else thinks I deserve. Today I am getting, by the grace of God, a gift of life that you have given me. Thank you, Jesus. Every time we walk into a classroom, every time we pay a parking meter, <laughs> though there is one parking meter I suspect of being demon-possessed, but even when we pay the parking meter, we say, Lord, thank you. And this starts to get burnt into us. It always, it always starts with grace. Heard the story of an elderly couple who had a cat. She loved the cat. He loved her. He tolerated the cat. One day when she was out, cat was struck by a car and killed. He doesn't have the heart to tell her. So when she discovers the cat is missing, and with cats it can take several days before you know a cat is actually missing, she becomes distraught. He says, honey, we'll put an ad in the paper. The ad doesn't seem to work. <laughs> and after a few days more to show his love for her, he says, honey, I'm not offering enough of a reward. He puts in a new ad, $10,000 for the return of our precious, probably Fifi. <laughs> one, of, one of his friends sees the ad in the paper, calls him up. Are you crazy? You hated that cat. $10,000 for a cat? <laughs> he said, friend, when you know what I know, you can afford to be generous. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if that's the way we lived, you see? So that everything flows out of this sense of gratitude. So just very naturally, we find ourselves expressing grace and forgiveness and forgiveness to other people as reflex because we know we haven't got. We have not received what we deserved either. And so in loving gratitude, we make sure that someone else does not get what we think they deserve either. Uh, this, this, you know, this is too strong a statement, so I'm qualifying it, okay? So, so this is too strong a statement, right? So I'm qualifying it. But I just don't understand how someone lives as a Christian and doesn't forgive. Now, that's, that's too strong. Christians, Christians deal with all kinds of things, but I guess I just don't, you know what I mean? I mean, this is even built into the Lord's Prayer. It's just the natural part of our life that as he has forgiven, I mean, who do we, this, this is too strong, I know, but who are we to think that we can withhold forgiveness? When God didn't withhold it from us, uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make light of some of the deep hurts we struggle with. But may we be marked by grace, you see. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In view of God's mercy, he says, now we offer sacrifice. Well, it's, it's always been about sacrifice. Paul uses imagery from the Old Testament to show the continuity, and yet an aspect that is new. It's always been about sacrifice. God acts first, and we offer a sacrifice of praise, thanksgiving, sacrifice of service, sacrifice of obedience. It's always been about sacrifice. He says, but in view of God's mercies, now in, in Christ Jesus, as he's been discussing, Offer yourself. Certainly the Old Testament system was built on something somewhere at some time. You offered something at a certain place at a certain time in loving response to God. Paul says, but now you are the sacrifice and you are a living sacrifice. All of a sudden, sacrifice is everything you do everywhere you go. It seems to be what Paul is talking about is a life of, of loving response that is without, without limits, without boundaries. <laughs> I, love, I love the phrase. No boundaries, no, no limits when I, when I hear it. And it gets bandied about all the time now. I typically think of the X Games, of those individuals who ride race mountain bikes down a mountain, or snowboarders who compete by flying up a ramp. No borders, no limits. And there's a part of me that embraces that. I want to be that kind of no limit, no boundary kind of man, no kind of van. I want to be that person. <laughs> I mean, I, I resonate with it. But of course, it's a lie. Try this. Try eating without limits. <laughs> try drinking without limits. We won't be seeing you very often at the school. 
Try working without limits, studying without limits, seeking pleasure without limits. It's, it's basically a lie. I think the only thing that you can actually do without limit is offer your gratitude to God every day, all the time, and serve him as he gives you strength. Because that's the only thing that regenerates your mind and renews you and takes you into eternity. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, offer yourself as living sacrifices this is holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is, this is the appropriate response. Verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing Perfect will. Paul says there's no, there's no pattern, there's no program that will allow this kind of spiritual re renewal, this kind of being like Jesus to happen in you. Not even the law, Paul has been arguing. He says, don't try to find a pattern. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul doesn't mention the spirit here, but from reading around in Romans, both before this passage and after, it's obviously that's what Paul has in mind here. The work of the spirit renewing you from the inside out. A work of the spirit inside of you, so that Paul is confident that he can say that if that occurs, we will be able to test and approve what God's will is. We will know what God wants, not because it's written somewhere, but though I must admit, there are times when I would just like it written. I'd like sometimes to go to my little office downstairs in the midst of a confusing moment and see it written on a sticky note, what God would like me to do with this one. I must admit, I would like it. I must admit, there is sometimes when I am tempted to pray that God would send somebody along to tell me. Sort of like it happened in the Old Testament when certain ones had the spirit in a different measure than others did, and so it was legitimate to ask the prophet. Uh, there's, there's certainly some appeal to that. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Paul certainly has a sense of hearing the will of God together as, as, a, as a community. In fact, we, I think we struggle to understand the degree to which the New Testament is picturing the body of Christ acting and thinking and praying together. Uh, 500 years of modernism and Western culture, we, we think so individually so quickly. There is a discerning of the voice of God when we are all together, when we are praying together. You hear it in somebody's prayer standing beside you or somebody who's standing in front of you with a microphone. You, you can sense it in a song when our, when our spirits are moved together in one direction. Now, there's no doubt about it. We, we hear the will of the Lord together at a moment when the Spirit takes the word and makes it real to our hearts. There's no doubt about it, but you can't miss the fact here that this is a work of the spirit that happens in your mind and affects your brain, and in my mind and affects your brain. 
And there's a degree to which discerning the will of God now has become intensely personal and intensely challenging because it's the witness of the Spirit in you. Which is what makes me nervous. Oh, not, not, not so much for you, for me. But there's just so much noise in my life. And when there's not sufficient noise, I put my iPod on. And when I feel visually deprived, I can go on the computer and bring up all kinds of images instantly. I, I worry that I have become so programmed to the blast of sound and the blast of images that this makes me nervous. Not, not to say that the Lord can't speak in the blast of sound and images, but we may be blasting the voice of the Spirit of God out of our minds. And here, here's the responsibility that concerns me, that I will give the Lord enough space in all of this to actually speak to me. And I will be still long enough to hear it. So Paul, Paul has talked about the basis of this transformational thinking that changes the mind, allowing us to become, to become like Jesus. Starts with grace, and then involves this this constant response from who we are. Now, in chapters 12 and 13, 14, and halfway through 15, Paul's going to take on some issues that he's concerned about in the Roman house churches. It's interesting which one he starts with, and this is the one we will end with. He talks about transformed thinking affecting how we now see each other. Notice the way he couches this in grace again, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Paul said, by the mercies of God and in accordance with the faith God has given you. See how all of this is couched again in response to God's grace. In light of what God has done, in other words, don't think of yourself more highly than, than you ought, which is to deprive us, of course, of a source of pleasure many of us have enjoyed many times. Some of the most viral videos on YouTube are those that show people failing, falling off a boat, falling off a skateboard, saying something stupid in public. It's repeated again and again and again. Why so many hits? There's just something about watching somebody else fail that does make us feel just a whole lot better than we did before we saw the video. <laughs> One of the great temptations in life, of course, is to rank yourself. To walk into a classroom and immediately scan it and figure out who are the students you're competing against and who you can look at when you're feeling down. Oh, I'm sorry, I was thinking of university like McGill, not, not Tyndale. Sorry, excuse me, I'm just wrong frame, wrong frame of reference. Paul says, don't, don't think too highly of yourself when you think in terms of grace. He says, instead of seeing others as people that you're competing with, that you rank yourself against, he says, realize that in the same way you needed God's grace, you need the grace of what they offer you too. Instead of looking at one another, to see how you measure up, 
see each other as those that you need. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. And then as Karina read a few moments ago, he gives us a spiritual gift list. Without explaining what the gifts are, he says, if you have it, use it. If you have it, use it. And if you have this one, use it. When we look at one another in a classroom, chapel service, or in the hallways, we, by the grace of God, perhaps might see each other differently. It's not as people we're competing against, but as those we need. And those who need us, that we're in this together. The great jazz pianist Thelonious Monk had invited a young piano player to a session. Uh, they, they laid down the first track. Monk went over to the piano player, commended him for his, his brilliance. And then he said to him, OK, this next time, try to make the drummer look good. What Paul seems to be saying here is, that if the work of God in Christ is to make all of us like Jesus, then use whatever gifts you have to work with the Holy Spirit. Use whatever gifts you have to make the rest of us look good, to look more like Jesus does. Shall we pray together? Father, by your grace, for your grace, May we live as people who have been touched by it, so deeply touched by your grace, that as people come to know this community, they will think of it as a community of grateful people who live with gratitude and freely share what they have because they love Jesus. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Bless you today, friends. Go in his peace.